Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, a podcast about gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is That Guy. This is Dan. This is Kim. And this is Chris. Welcome to the episode of Anonymous Gamers, otherwise known as Board Gamers Anonymous. This Woo-hoo! is, in fact, Anthony, also known as That Guy. Very professional. I am very professional. That's why you're That Guy. I am That Guy. <laughs> um, this is episode 22, I think. We do it every yes. other week now. I'm forgetting the numbers. It's 22. It's a 22 episodes. Nice. All right, double numbers, cool. Double uh, digits, double twos. Wow, you can tell every two weeks now. Now I'm gonna get rusty. Just, just say words. <laughs> Welcome to this podcast. We are professionals of games. Don't try this at home, kids. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, yeah, no. Welcome to the podcast. We are uh, back with tons of reviews, uh, including one that we've been wanting to get to the table for a while. We actually played this a few times this last couple weeks because Kim did all the hard work do all the hard work i just wanted to learn how to play it right because the first time me and dan played it um our our victory point was very very low so i read the book again i saw some videos and it was actually a good video because instead of one person pretending to be both players it actually had another girl actually physically there to do the moves which is good yeah that's always better and it it seems like it's a small thing but it's kind of creepy when you watch a guy play against himself in a training video i have to say i we played city of iron and i watched a video of how to play and it was a guy and he said i'm player one and jen will be player two but there's no jen there so they're going back and forth and he's like Oh, well, Jen wants to pick this card, but she doesn't know if she wants this yet. She might save up. So she was looking at this card. If she gets this card, she's going to mess me up on my turn. So she's going to pick this card. And then the weirdest part was there's a card that looks like a yak. It's called like a sheik. And what happened was he's like, this card gives you one sheik because they give resources. But me and Jen like to call them yaks. What? <laughs> Who is Jen? Quit talking to yourself. It was really bad. But the Terra Mystical one was really good. 
That's good. Yeah, because when you guys taught me, it was very smooth. So yeah. all the kinks have been worked out. And when they said Kim was there, she was actually there. So that was yeah. also the helpful. <laughs> <laughs> so that's our feature review today. We're going to talk about Terra Mystica, which is, spoiler, awesome. Uh, you spoiled it. Done. Now can't, they're not going to listen. Can't undo it. It's impossible to edit that sentence out. Well, you are the professional guy after all. I do all the edits. That's true. With my professional skills. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Terra Mystica, a couple other games we got to the table. Excellent. Been a good couple weeks. Uh, first up, the news, of course. Um, it's still early in the year, man. I don't know. There's not a lot of news except Kickstarter, which is always news, I guess. Yep. Anything stand out as interesting? Well, an opportunity to see some early release videos for the Seven Wonders expansion of Babel. And this was kind of widely whispered about because they had some other games that were coming out, so they didn't want to kind of suck the, the air out of the room with this expansion. And Babel's really different than any of their other previous expansions, such as Cities and Leaders, where in this expansion, you're going to get two different kind of components. One is this kind of pie-shaped board where it's going to have these, once again, these kind of like pizza kind of cutouts, and each of the different pieces have benefits that you can all build towards. So instead of just having your hand of cards and your tableau in front of you and your benefits that either benefit you or hurt somebody else, you'll be able to kind of discard a card and be able to put forth to these general benefits. And other people will be able to buy other benefits and they'll cover over those. So there'll be a communal um, main play area where everyone can kind of get involved. Um, there wasn't much detail out on this yet, but the pieces look great. And they're nice and big and chunky, and it looks like it's going to really kind of transform Seven Wonders into a more legitimate type of board game. And they also have these really huge cards. I think they're maybe three by five. They're really big, and they, they're kind of sections to different parts where some you can use one of the benefits by paying some resources or use the other benefits. Um, so they're kind of really huge and chunky. I'm not sure where actually they're going to kind of get played into. But just like the round pieces, these these are still kind of um, shuffled and then drafted, so you'll be able to play with them. But I guess they're looking to try to get more of the people involved in the table together instead of just your neighbors, which is a great possibility. I hope it plays out really well. And since this is kind of still like a bit of a prototype, there's probably going to be some changes between now and the final product. And they're looking to release this in, probably in about the fall. So this is definitely going to be an instant buy for me because I'm a huge fan of Seven Wonders. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, it seems almost like this game's been you know a little playing itself out in the last year or so. Um, okay. You know, it was really big when it came out, and people just you know finding other games to kind of scratch that itch. Sure. So it's cool to see them trying to evolve it, and that's always been my biggest complaint about the game. Uh, if you hear me talk about it, is that you are kind of just playing against one or two people instead of everybody else. You can get eight people to the table, you don't interact with six of them. So. Sure. The 8 allows you to play teams. Um, the most recent expansion, Cities, lets you kind of hurt everybody else for money, but it's still, you know, just your neighbors, basically. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's like no matter how many players you play that game, it's always a three-player game. It's just possible that you can totally get blown out by somebody that you never interacted with in any level or degree, yeah. though. Which is harsh. Yeah, so it's hard to build a strategy, because then you're, like, yelling across the table, Hey! Are you doing tech? <laughs> yeah. Stop doing science. I'm doing science. <laughs> like, I'm always curious if, like, you know, if an eight-player game, if you broke it into two four-player games, if it would play the exact same or, you know, like, because it just seems like I said, the more players, it's 
more random than anything. Yeah. It is an eight player is fun. We we played it a couple times at the store. Um, there was one time Earl and I were teamed up, and he went military and I went science, and it was kind of like the one two combination because he protected me while I built up, and that was a lot of fun. Then there was I think some other players who went all gold, so they kind of pulled in all the gold cards and they kind of raised a lot of money. So it does have at least a little bit of that feel as far as I'm playing a certain type of civilization, whether it's you know, technology, whether it's military. Um, and then obviously, for me personally, I really never want to play without the leaders because I think it does give a personal flavor to it. These are the people who are running my civilization. And it really kind of helps you build an initial strategy that you don't get when you play the regular Seven Wonders. If you play regular Seven Wonders, like Dan was saying, whatever you get, whatever opportunities come, you're kind of building randomly. At least with the leaders, you can kind of build towards some sort of strategy and it does lend a lot more flavor to the game so yeah it's cool it'll be fun to see how it works yeah hopefully it turns into a little bit more board more of a board game and more kind of uh interplay yeah i mean the one thing i've seen lately um you know we're talking about new games and stuff is kind of this trend on kickstarter towards these really kind of almost micro games sure Um, last month i guess it was a month ago maybe two uh what was that called where the game was like three dollars and it's a card with coins on it coinage coinage yeah and it made a ridiculous amount of money for $3 cards. Actually, um, it was for $3 for a card. Yeah. Because it's one single card that you can pretty much put in your pocket or your wallet. Yeah. And then you like, actually use your own change as, like... Well, the, one of the stretch goals was cardboard coins to go with. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, like, I actually, I actually even got it on that Kickstarter. I think the reason is because... You see that price and you go, that's the cost of a slice of pizza. Let me just get it. You're like, why not? You know, um, even like uh, Tiny Epic Kingdom. Yes. Yeah, well, that was the other one I was talking about. Yes. Yeah. It just funded yesterday with some ridiculous number of backers. It's 15 bucks. But not only that, but like, I mean, um, like for us, I saw the game, I'm like, eh, it doesn't look that great. I'm like, oh, I can live without it. And, you know, surprise, surprise, Brian was going to Kickstarter it. <laughs> then he noted like, oh, well, if you get six people to order it, it's only this price. So I'm going to get it, and so are these two people. And then someone else got it, and then someone else got it. I'm like, well, you know, if you need one more person to back it, sure, I'll take the sixth spot. So some that can also happen, too, where it's like, I'm kickstarting a game I don't even care about just because, and again, it's even a worse reason because everyone else is getting it. Yeah. So I'm getting a game that everyone else is already going to own that I don't really have an interest in playing in the first place because somebody's like, oh, well, you know, it's only this price. Well, that was actually my doing because Brian was like, I'm kickstarting that. I'm like... What a surprise. Because I looked at that game, too. I haven't really played a lot of these 4X games. Yeah. But it, it you know, like, like Dan was saying, for the price, it actually almost looks good. And so I was kind of on the fence on it, and I probably would not have backed it at all if not for the fact that I did see that. I think if, if six of us backed it, it was like it's like 15 or so. It, was, it went down. It went down significantly the, the more people who backed it. And since it was so cheap... You know, at that price, if a number of us backed it, it was kind of worth it. Yeah. So, and you well, got I mean, all the stretch goals, which made made all the difference in the world. Sure, totally. Yeah, I mean, it's 16 normally, so I can't imagine, like, the six-pack must have been 12 or something. Yeah, it's just getting, and they give you all the stretch goals with it, which is nice, because usually, in order to get, like, that kind of discount, you have to be, you know, buying from a store. Yeah. So, you know, it could it could be one of these games where it's just, like, Love Letter, where... 
having multiple copies does work out because everyone's playing it all the time. Certainly hope so because the store's gonna have like ten. It's not... Yes. Well, sent on <laughs> we board. We all packed it. Sent on board gamers will have ten. The yeah. store, I don't know. <laughs> the store will have none. But, <laughs> yeah. but uh, it, you know, it has a lot of different characters. It plays pretty quick. It was the artwork was one of the reasons why I backed this and not Coin Age. Um, besides, Tasty Minstrel Games has a very bad reputation of. Um, dealing with their community on Kickstarters. There's been some ongoing issues with that. But beyond that, if there was going to be a micro-game Kickstarter that could kind of squeeze through, it'd probably be this. Although, like Dan was saying, one of the problems with these micro-games could be that they end up do flooding the market and people who are not familiar with hobby board games might actually be turned off. Like, oh, Coinage, oh, this is a board game? Yeah, this is a hobby board game. Oh, that was terrible. And oh, these, all these little minor games, they're terrible too. I don't want to play with you guys anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to tell. Well, I mean, that's Kickstarter in general. Yeah. Because the micro games, I think, have helped the hobby a lot. Games like Love Letter, sure. I've, I've shown this to like half a dozen people who loved it who had never played another kind of game before other than like Risk or Monopoly, and they were like, oh, what else do you got? Whereas if it was like Love Letter, the Kickstarter edition sure. from some guy in Minnesota... Maybe it wouldn't be so great. No, not dissing on Minnesota. Just picking a random place out of a hat. Um, but it's you know some of the quality of the games off Kickstarter has not been great. Sometimes they're great. I'd say most of the time they're not, and it's just there's not that filter you get. Yeah, I think one of the issues is because they're they're micro games. Pretty much anyone could put out a single piece of cardboard and call it a game, and that's that's that issue with Coin Age and and several other games. There's a lot of games on kickstarter they're just like that so yeah if you do get love letter that comes from a really decent company or a micro game that comes from a really decent company you have a good chance of that actually being a decent game whereas a micro game through kickstarter you really probably want to take, take look at it twice yeah or just you know know what you're backing something like coup is it's a good game yeah but that comes from a really big pedigree and company yeah. and and it was actually a reprint too. That That's true. Who came was yeah. out originally, so this was just more. It's a reskin, right? A reskin yeah. of it. That's cool. And you got to see the artwork. That's true. You saw what so, you were getting. In yeah. Advance. Cool. All right. Anything else interesting going on in the horizon, guys? Well, we're running a couple of uh, game tournaments at our Myriad Games in Staten Island, New York. So we're running a Roll Through the Ages tournament. Um, this first week of February, we were doing training and practice for people who haven't played the game before and then these next two weeks we're going to have competitions and then the last week of the month is going to be a kind of playoff finale and it's a winner take all kind of thing so it should be a lot of fun and we're also doing a coup tournament at the end of february as well so just talking about coup so it's a nice quick fun game to kind of play with a lot of people and has a lot of quick interplay so also and that's also another game that plays good with either two or twenty yeah yeah Awesome. Busy, busy times. I was doing it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See if I can get myself off work early enough to get over there and do anything. Um, that's cool. Yeah, we, we've we been doing, um, you know, we're trying to get a lot, get out and do more stuff. Uh, we made it to Brooklyn, it's like a week and a half ago. Yes. A couple weeks ago. Um, Brooklyn! Yeah. <laughs> you have to say that. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you're originally from Brooklyn, anytime someone says Brooklyn, you have to yell out Brooklyn, because that's what we do. <laughs> okay. If you were born there, you would understand I, I was not, so I have no prerequisites to saying Brooklyn. Brooklyn! See, you did it again. <laughs> Turn this into a game. How many times can we get? Say what? Brooklyn? Brooklyn! 
Oh, God. Okay, what are we talking about? Um, so, yeah, we're on Staten Island. Every avenue off this island is a bridge, so people don't tend to come here if they, unless they have to, and we don't tend to leave unless we have to, um, which generally involves if you have to work. Yes. But, you know, we think it was Dan was like, hey, let's head to Brooklyn. There's a great game store over there. Um, and so we did. It's in Williamsburg. It's called the 20-Sided Store. Um, we happened to stop in there. I think they had a magic event going on. Yeah. So it was really crowded, but it's, it's a cool little store. And I know they've grown their board game selection a lot in the last couple of months. Yeah, and their magic area, like if um, if you live anywhere that you can get to that store in Brooklyn, almost every day of the week they have events going on. They have drafts, standard, constructed. Um, they do modern masters. They do every type of tournament available that magic can offer. So like five or six days a week they have something going on in that store. Yeah. There's a lot of people, too. And they also had a lot of... I was surprised, too. It's obviously board games are kind of peaking up, too. They have a lot of board game days and uh, board game tournaments. So they have a pretty full schedule listed. So um, if you're in the area, definitely give them a call and see what's going on that day. Yeah. And if you like Catan, they have Settlers of Catan tournaments, which is awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, that was fun. It was... Uh, we don't... You know, we but last summer we did our streak of uh, cross Jersey gaming store tours but we haven't done that a lot lately so it was fun to get out and check it out yeah, I, think, I was just thinking though um, when you mentioned the Settlers of Catan tournaments those must be the most dreadful things on earth <laughs> I'll trade you two stone for- no <laughs> I keep my cards you play your turn <laughs> ow yeah it's like uh, uh, okay uh, I rolled six. <laughs> can, can can I go now? Yeah, the fun, friendly, friendly game that turns uh, completely cutthroat and vicious because it's now a tournament-style environment. It's true. But uh, you hear a lot of bad things about your local game stores, kind of these dark dungeon where these guys don't ever see the sun, you know. Um, a lot of great people there. The staff is really fun and friendly. Uh, we had got a chance to talk to Orlando. Just couldn't be nicer. And... Uh, mm-hmm. Great selection of games and foods and drinks, and definitely looking forward to go back there to visit and uh, kind of promote the hobby a little bit. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, and it's coming off of work. It's super close for me. It's like fifteen minutes on the train. So. Yeah, I would, I would absolutely head out there again. Yeah, and then I don't have to go to the complete strategist and get insulted. So. <laughs> Let's so, dogpile on the complete strategist. <laughs> well, it's we definitely need to promote the game stores that are doing things right, and they're definitely doing something right there, and it's definitely a place to go out and check things out and it's in brooklyn so that's always a good thing all right so let's move on to keep chris from saying brooklyn over and over again brooklyn uh, <laughs> <laughs> legally i have to say oh one last thing too um we're continuing with the uh, dominion wars for star trek attack wing and this um past op event i actually got to judge the last event and uh, that was a lot of fun it was my first time judging and the scenario was fun. The people were great. And we're heading on to month five, which will be next week on February 15th. Will be the month five, um, which is I think the Battle for Cardassia, which you'll have these kind of weapon platforms laid out. For that month, there'll be additional prizes, and it will lead up to the last month of the series, which will be the Battle for um, Deep Space Nine. So if you haven't gotten a chance to play Attack Wing yet, Definitely check it out. It has a lot of different variety to it. They're always adding new ships, and it's a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah, I, I might check it out because next week's a three-day weekend, and I have a little extra time. Awesome. Acquisition Disorder Corner. Let's see. It has now been 
five weeks since we've had a real acquisition disorder corner. How are we doing? <laughs> are are the, is the list growing yet? Um, the only game I've actually looked at a little bit was City of Remnants. I heard about it on one of the Plathead podcasts. Actually, they just mentioned it recently, and. The only reason I was curious about this game is because apparently it has every mechanic in the world. It has drafting and auction and area control and deck building. And so I was kind of curious about that. The downside is I don't actually know anyone personally that's played it. So I'm still doing a little research on it right now. Yeah, that's what kept me from picking it up because the 4th of July sale and then I think at Thanksgiving it was on sale on Cool Stuff for some ridiculous like $30. So who knows, maybe it'll be on sale again Memorial Day. Um but it's Plat Hat. It's like the one Plat Hat game I don't own, so I've been tempted to. But even if a game is on sale and you haven't played it, is it worth picking it up? It's a good question. That is a good question. Kickstarter would say yes. Whoa. Kickstarter, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a philosophical debate <laughs> that I go through every time there's a sale. Because um, so we were thinking about picking up Fresco, but we never played it. And how much was it? Yeah, the Kickstarter ended where it was 60 bucks for everything. You got all 10 expansions. Uh, it was the Fresco Big Box. But just looking at the game, like it sounds interesting, but we don't know anyone that's played it. It's been at the store for a year. No one's ever broke it out or anything. No one even seems to have interest in it. So we were, it's the only reason we didn't back it. It sounds like a great game, but if you can't get people to the table for it, some games you don't mind owning even if you never play it. You know, like, I mean, we haven't played Rune Wars in about six months. Even if that game never got played again, I'm like, this thing looks great. I can always use the minis for, like, D&D or something if I had to. But yeah. at least we've played that game twice. Yeah, but, uh, you know, after dropping 100 bucks, yeah, you want true. a little more than <laughs> two plays of something. It was good. It was two great plays, though. Yeah. yeah. And we're definitely going to play that we're again. We're going to play it, yeah. <laughs> That's going to happen sometime. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. I've been down that road before, and I think... What holds me back sometimes is these sales are on websites where you need 100 bucks to get the free shipping. I'm like, well, the game's on sale for 30 but now I have to spend another $70. Um, so that kind of stops me sometimes. Same price in the store? I'd probably do it. I've done it. It's a, I think right now it's a different age. I mean, I think there was a time where if you didn't get the game when it first came out, you weren't going to see the game probably ever again. And that's still true over, you know, with some games. But most games do get multiple reprints. Um, they usually don't end up with crazy amounts, you know, on eBay. So you, you if you've seen if you've seen it on sale, you'll probably see it on sale again. Um, I would kind of check with Board Game Geek and see what people are saying about the game, and see if it's a game that's probably going to stick around in the future. And if it's a good game, they're going to bring it back. I think the only the only question. That I, you know, question slash problem that I ran into when I was searching for uh, Coliseum from Days of Wonder, that was out of print for quite some time. And I kind of investigated that, and there was some legal issue where they weren't able to reprint that. And it was luckily enough to be able to find it at a uh, local board game store, the uh, actually the game room in uh, the Woodbridge Mall in New Jersey. But beyond that, I think you're, you're kind of okay. I mean, if you can put together, like Anthony was saying, a good $100 shipping, maybe with some friends. Probably a good chance to, you know, pick it up. But otherwise, you know, you probably can wait a little bit while. Especially if you have games you haven't played yet. Yeah. yeah. So, because it's like, hey, another game, which I haven't played yet. <laughs> yeah. Because then, the, then the collection just sits there and mocks you. Yeah, my closet's full of them. It's not. 
I've actually read through the rules of like three of them now too, and just, I still haven't played them. Like I know how you guys want to play these. No. <laughs> Is Battle Lore one of the ones that you learned? I'm or? ready to play Battle Lore. Oh god. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually surprisingly simple. Yeah, I heard it plays pretty quick, which is one yeah. of the huge bonuses to that game. I read the rule book once and watched like a 25-minute video, and I'm, I'm good. So we could probably play through it in 30 minutes. Nice. So. Next week. Spoiler. <laughs> um, yeah, my big acquisition disorder this week is just more X-Wing. What are you going to do? <laughs> they're not even in the store yet. And it's got gonna... you, man. It's got you. I never even play this game very much. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that shocks me. Right? <laughs> I just want the, like, the little... Ships, man, they're cool. Well, because you can put them on a shelf. I mean, they're display yeah. quality, so it's not the worst thing. In the hey, world. what are you trying to say? <laughs> I, I don't think he's trying to say. I think he is saying. I'm it. saying that the, the Enterprise looks derpy. Yeah, <laughs> it does. I actually, uh, actually popped, actually got the original Enterprise. So super carefully opened the package, so carefully pulled it out of the, the plastic, and the top saucer just went whoop and just kind of crumbled uh, and kind of fell off. And I'm like. Why? 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 Why would you do that? I I didn't even play with you. Yet. Whiz kids. <laughs> By the way, speaking of whiz kids, um, I just got a note from an acquisition thing because like uh, you know, like I always loved like Magic and collectible card games, so I used to play Yu-Gi-Oh all the time on like DS and PSP. So the Yu-Gi-Oh Hero Clicks came out. The starter set just released. Picked it up. The sculpts look really good. It's cool. you know really nice appeal. The downside is this: anyone that plays Yu-Gi-Oh. You already know it's like, hey, this person has an addiction. We can make lots of money off of these people because they will hand you tons of cash for cardboard cards. The Yu-Gi-Oh! starter set, even though the pieces look great and the maps are from the game, I feel like they missed out on huge opportunities. Because, like, the Avengers vs. X-Men dice, they have special symbols on the sixes. The Green Lantern dice, it has, like, the Green Lantern colors. The Yu-Gi-Oh! dice, they could have put that cool, like, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh! Pyramid or something as the six. Yeah, yeah. Plain white D6s with just standard pips. Ow. What? No, yeah. Like, I would have loved it. All right, this is, like, super geek reference, but I would have loved it if they had, like, the Pegasus Eye as the one. Because since, you know, like, it was a cursed object, and I think when you looked at you, you lost your soul or some nonsense. <laughs> so in, you know, Heroclix, you roll two ones. Not only do you do nothing, you hurt yourself, and that character's out for that turn. So, like, that would have been great for the ones. And then they could have had, like, you know, the object of power for the six. Missed out on that. Um, they didn't include, like, uh, chits or anything, like, you know, the counters for your characters. So, again, they could have had, like, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pegasus as the characters. Make it where it's, like, really thematic, and people want to, keep, you know, buy that set just for those cool chips to even mark their card game. Didn't include that. And then the last thing is the objects and, like, the barrier cards and everything, the same art and print that they do from every other set. So in Yu-Gi-Oh, you're throwing a trash can and dumpsters and a safe at each other. You know, because you remember that episode when one of the guys picked up a safe and chucked it at a dragon's head. Yeah. <laughs> so that, was, that was a great one, wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> so again, they could have made it like those objects. Like, they could have even made it where, you know, it's like half of a house or something from like one of the cards or like part of the Pegasus castle. So it seems like they had tons of opportunity to be like, Hey, you know that thing that you really like? Well, this is in 3D. And then you can move them around the board, you know, like it is on the show that you watch that makes you play this game. You can have physical objects and 3D rendering that look great and give us your money from now on instead of that other company. And I feel like they just totally dropped the ball on a chance to get hundreds of thousands of people into their product. You know, like this could have been its own line. Because it's like almost like Pokemon. Like, Yu-Gi-Oh, it's like every three months, like, hey, here's 100 new things. Buy them. 
I feel like WizKids suffers from the volume thing. Like they do so much stuff and they turn it out so fast that it doesn't feel like they have enough time to really put a lot of thought into any of it. Like, hey, let's do the exact same thing we did for the last thirty sets we released. Yeah, but, but I'm curious now, like, do, in the Star Trek games, do you just, like, chuck around space dumpsters and space safes? <laughs> like, you know, it's... <laughs> yeah. I remember that episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, they didn't even go make a new one. They just reskinned another game and added a few new mechanics. Yeah. It wasn't like, hey, let's come up with a completely new space combat game. It's like, no, let's take that one that worked really well for this other company, kind of make it Star Trek-y, and then put out some cruddy-looking models. Well, even, even more so, the models that they used were previous models that they had, which they stripped some of the artwork and paint off the models to kind of make them a little more generic so i guess it works and but i stand by my statement that the fact that they don't have the borg in the tabletop game they're coming tackling is redonkulous since they yeah. already have the borg out for the the normal hero clicks game yeah they're coming there yeah. there's after the the dominion war ends you know in march i think april starts voyager and they'll have one of the cubes will be coming out with Voyager, so you will see. Yeah, Borg, they're coming. The um, the only like good thing like on the WizKids run for me though was the fact that currently it's the Avengerverse X Men storyline for the clicks. After this is the War of the Light, the Green Lantern side. That is cool. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's cool. going to start in June. Um, that I'm, I would love to check out because I always thought that like series was pretty cool and stuff. Yeah, uh, WizKids is a funny company. I don't know. <laughs> they <laughs> do, it is because they they do so many things incredibly right. And their OP events are amazing, and somehow their production just kind of falls off. And it's just like, it's a very much love and hate relationship, and you really want to root for them to kind of come through, because they do a decent job with the IPs. I I kind of feel like WizKids is the equivalent of Nintendo in the board game world. Where it's like, they can put out junk that you're like, this is ridiculous, and they're like, I'm sorry, we can't hear you over our walls made out of money. Can you, <laughs> can you speak up? It's hard to hear you when we're so rich. Like, they just make money hand over fist because they have their fingers in so many pies. But yeah. yeah, I mean, good for them getting all those licenses. And this is a company that's basically crashed and burned twice. So, you know, they're making it work, which is great. Yeah. But. but even just the IP, to have the IP would be one thing. But they actually, the figures and the storylines and the cards are very thematic. I know, Dan, you were telling me about so many, so many of the different cards that came with the hero clicks, and the heroes or the villains denote things they've actually done in the comic books. I yeah. mean, you have to go to the extra, le- the extra level for that. Yeah. Was it Cap- there was one about Captain America. Yeah, like Crossbones. Like, um, one of his powers is like, I killed Captain America and you're next. You know, it's like, they give like really good names. Like, that's the thing, too. It's like, it seems like on some levels they just hit all the marks, and other ones they're like, meh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I like when the sentences connect... Each power, it makes yeah, sense. Cool. Yeah, that's cool. Like yeah, Bane. Yeah, Bane, yeah, Bane's card in um, the Arkham Origins actually tells a story of Bane basically breaking in and, you know, hulking up and just taking everyone out. Yeah. And then Solomon Grundy in the new Superman set, his powers are actually the Solomon Grundy uh, poem. Nice. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, they do such a great job with theme. It's, it's whoever's working in production for whatever reason kind of... And they're bringing a lot of people in for the IP and for the theme. Because remember, we had we had a chance to talk to Andrew Parks at the Canterbury release, and he's one the one of the masterminds behind uh, Star Trek Attack Wing. Which kids is all right. I still like Star Wars. Star Wars is awesome. And these new ones are so big. I know. I, they oh need to get them in the store so I can just play with it. That's. Cool. I don't know if I'll buy it. When is that it. coming out? When is it actually going to hit stores? Uh, like this week. Is it really? Yeah. Will we actually see one? I don't know. 
I don't know. Our buddy Sean pre-ordered them. Maybe that's the only ones they'll get. Yeah. So we'll see. But maybe he'll let us play with them. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. I feel like I'm nine sometimes. <laughs> my friend got a new game. I want to play with it. <laughs> um, so that's that's my acquisition disorder right now. Because again, I got a pile of stuff. I actually have a pile of stuff in the car. That, like <laughs> I learned the rules. Can we play these now? All right. So uh, let's look at some of the games we did play uh, in the last couple weeks and uh, with our reviews. At the table this week. All right, so what have we been playing lately? Well, um, speaking of this, you know, the end of this football season, and I'm sure Anthony has something he wants to say about that, so if you want to skip ahead for the next 20 seconds as Anthony raves and chants and jumps up and down about the Seahawks, feel free. Yeah. I'll leave it to Anthony. Go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, man, I was, like, the only person. This was awesome because I went to work on Monday, and everybody was going. They were complaining. They were like, that was the worst Super Bowl I've ever seen. I was so bored. I fell asleep in the third quarter, and I was, like, I was enthralled. (laughs) They're like, yeah, but even you at a certain point has to be boring. Like, no, that was the best night of my life. (laughs) There is something to be said when your team is so outwardly crushing another team that even as a fan you're getting bored. That's awesome. When you can actually just be bored of a game like... Yeah, I'll admit, like the fourth quarter, I wasn't paying a lot of attention. We were talking about some stuff. We were talking about... Because it was already over. (laughs) Yeah, but it's still fun to watch. The most dominating defensive performance in the history of the NFL by my team against the best offense to ever be on the field. It was really fun. (laughs) Basically, like, um, the only way I can describe it was for Denver. Sometimes, like, you know, you're playing a game and there's two turns left but your opponent has 75 victory points ahead of you, <laughs> so they can leave the table, and you know you can't possibly win in the time that's left. There's just no physical or possible way. That's what it was like for Denver. Like, I've been there. <laughs> so I think the uh, there were so many great comments about the Super Bowl. <clears throat> I think my favorite was um, this past Super Bowl, the Broncos, um, Broncos head. I'm sorry. The Seahawks had Bring a Bronco to Work Day. <laughs> one, of, one of my favorites. My favorite line, hands down, was um, halfway through the game, Manning threw in the towel, but that got intercepted too. I that. <laughs> that was a good one, yeah. yeah. All our friends from the store, who I don't even know if they watched the game. Like, I invited a bunch of people over, and, you know. They, they had the game, the game on at the store. Did they? They did. Okay, good, yeah. Because I got a, a bunch of people tagged me. Yeah. They all knew that I was, like, really psyched for this game. They tagged me with all these memes bashing on Denver. Yeah. And at a certain point, you start to feel a little bad. Like, our buddy George was there with us watching the game at my house, and he was rooting for Denver. Like, really rooting, too. It wasn't like, you know, my mother-in-law was like, yeah, I love Peyton Manning, and then they were losing, and she didn't care. Um, (laughs) And that was most people. They didn't really care that much. But he legitimately was upset. And, you know, so I was, by the third quarter, I toned down the trash talk a little, because it was like 30 to 0. It was ridiculous. (laughs) I just loved when he was getting upset. He was like, sure, why not? Whatever. Just don't even try to catch the ball. Just go. (laughs) But... Yeah, that was that was a good time. Okay. That was my gaming last Sunday. That was so. Speaking of which, that was my <laughs> that was your segue. Yeah. That was my awesome segue because I knew that I knew that segue was going to be taken off on a tangent. So might as well go with it. <laughs> Get it out of the way first. So you can talk about the game. Yeah. So we ac- we actually had a chance to play um, first and goal, which is a dice rolling football game. So keeping with the season, uh, our friend George actually out of nowhere kind of brought this game in and had I think almost all the expansions and, and then I think recently picked up the last expansion. So if you haven't played this game yet, I think we talked about this really early on. It's you get this little football field, you get a little magnetic football and a little magnetic um 
first and ten marker that you can kind of move. So you can actually literally move the chains, which is pretty fun. And each team has a different set of dice. And the dice will actually have the benefits for passing plays, running plays, and defensive plays. And depending on how the team is set up, you might have a very strong offensive team, but a very weak defensive team. Or you might have a very, let's say, for example, a very strong running game, but a very weak passing and a very weak defensive team. So there's a lot of variation to the actual gameplay as far as what the power are, the powers of that team are, and they're reflected in the dice. So one of the things about this game that's, that's definitely challenging is you get these kind of chunky, pretty cheaply made plastic dice, and you got to sticker the dice with numbers that are reflective of the power of the team, and that's what you'll be rolling through the game that'll show you your benefits or... The defensive takeaways. Now, for Denver, did you just leave the like dice blank? <laughs> just all negatives. I, all negatives. <laughs> I should have known that's the way the game was going when I looked at the dice. <laughs> wow, we're the sticker for the Denver team. There are no stickers for the Denver team. <laughs> just came with a blank box. I don't understand. <laughs> the two worst blowouts in NFL history. Now, Denver lost. Yeah. In the Super Bowl, like, you almost feel bad. Almost. Almost. <laughs> you don't feel bad at all, do you? I like Denver, too. No. I just feel bad. Like, when they made it and they're playing against... Like, I wanted the Patriots to win almost so the Seahawks could dismantle them. Okay. Yeah, uh, but I don't want the Patriots to... Be yeah, you don't want them to win at all. You don't want them to have the chance. But if they're going to dismantle a team, you want it to be a team everybody hates. That's true. Uh, anyways. So we had a chance to play this game, and just like football, if you do a running play, you actually burn additional cards, which is nice because you can actually have a little bit of strategy to it. But the game itself, depending on the teams you play are you know, completely random, and they, they kind of sweep from one end to the other. So I think I was playing Mike, and he had a pretty well-balanced team, and despite me picking each and every time the exact play he was going to pick, so if he was picking a pass play, I picked pass defense, and I was just it was awesome. I was doing great. But since my team had terrible defense, I was giving him yards on every play. So he wasn't making yards for his choices, but I was giving him five, seven yards on each play. And I'm like, wait a minute, this shouldn't be happening this way. <laughs> to the point where he ended up scoring. And then just by chance, because you do have dies in the game that are added, which show, you know, have a possibility for turnovers. So uh, my team was heavily offensive. And I turned the ball over three times, just like Denver. <laughs> but on the one chance that I actually got to roll the dice, um, in two plays, I scored a touchdown, which happens but probably not in a board game should happen so much so the game did play did take a long time to play which was a little surprising um there were you know the game length or actually the, each of the quarters is determined by the number of cards for the offense so as you burn offensive cards the clock is running out which is really really fun um we're going to try this out as a tournament game you know let each person kind of pick a team and just play over the next couple of weeks and months and see how that plays out. But uh, yeah, I, I a mixed review on it. Uh, it's definitely worth a play. Just because you don't have to be a football fan. Because all you're doing is chucking dice. Which is always fun. And it doesn't require that hard level of strategy of like, I'm going to do a button hook here. And he's going to do, you know, you don't have to have that at all. Okay. So it's helpful if you do. But it's not necessary. I was so psyched when he brought this in. Yeah. I didn't get a chance to play it. I think I was playing... Um... You're playing Terra Mystica. Terra Mystica, that's right. And I haven't been in a lot lately. But this game, like, we started talking about it, I think, back in September. Yeah. Maybe August when the football season was starting. 
And that was literally when it went out of print. Yes. Like a week before the football season started, it went out of print. And I was like, that is the worst possible time. <laughs> they just got it back in stock like they last did. week. When the football season is over, like the, the worst, I don't know, who cares? But um, it was one of those games that just like it looked good. I knew it was one of the better football games if, you know, I think sure. Pizza Box football is another one that people play, but it's not, it's more of a, almost like in a role-playing game than anything else. Um, I've really wanted to play it. I'm excited that he has it. I want to play it now. Um, I do wish that they could get the licenses and that kind of stuff. Like if, say, Fantasy Flight picked up the NFL license and did like Madden football. Yeah, or something, I think that would be great. That would be amazing. I would buy that in a second. But it has not happened yet. For whatever reason, sports don't translate to board games well. Probably because the audiences don't cross over as much as these companies would like. I was gonna say. Plus, there's that uh, that whole PlayStation Xbox thing that probably does it a little better. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying it's like you know like. Any board game you're taking turns, you know, sports games, you want it to be the direct conflict where you're both actively doing the same thing at the same time. Yeah, I guess. I mean, football's a very strategic game, though. Like, I think it translates well to a board game. If both players were going simultaneously, like, if it's like... Yeah, it's... Like, you know those games where you turn your card over and, like, you all do your... You could do that. Yeah. Like, Blood Bowl, the card game, I know it's, like, it's a stretch that that's football-ish, but that game does it well. That's what I'm saying. It's like, it has to be something to that extent. I know there's an NFL version of this game that came out. It's it's not a it's not from the it's not from the company that makes First and Goal, so it's very similar as far as the way the board looks. It does have the NFL license, so you can kind of do these magnetic team names where you can drop on the board. But other than that, that plays that plays with cards, and it's not as fun, not as good, not as just not worth your time. So if you're going to pick up a football game, pick up First and Goal. And you'll like it because each team plays a little has a little difference as far as the dice are concerned. Components are a little wanting as far as that's concerned. I, I would have rather paid an additional five bucks just to get more quality die. Yeah. On that because you know cheap plastic dice with little cheap plastic stickers really kind of brings the quality down because the board and the ball and the everything else looks really high quality. So. I'm definitely going to check it out. Yeah, you should. I mean, it looks like a lot of fun, and we're going to try it out as a tournament and see how it plays. All right. Uh, the game I played, and I haven't played a lot of games the last couple of weeks because last Sunday was the Super Bowl, and that was like 90% of my he, day. He's, he's still talking about it. I'm going to be talking about it until <laughs> baseball season starts and the Mariners lose at least 30 games. And if the Mariners are awful, though, you're going to be hearing about this all summer. That's, that's all you're going to hear. So we're going to hear about it all summer then. Yeah. Because <laughs> the Mariners are going to be awful. Preseason power rankings, Seahawks number one. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. By the way, do you, by the way, do you want A Rod back? Because we would totally give him back to you for like nothing. A Rod can't play next year. I know, but we would it's still awesome. But we would still give him back to you. <laughs> we don't have to hear about it. Oh, I'm sure we have to hear. About we it. oh, we have to hear about it. <laughs> we don't have to see him for the next year on the baseball diamond. That makes me happy. It does. Makes everybody happy. This is the sports cast. I was going to say, the best way I can get it translated to like uh, gay culture terms is he's on the banned list. He's not available in any team deck until... Exactly. <laughs> that card's totally broken. <laughs> he trolled a little too hard. <laughs> All right, so the one game I did get to play last week, um, I checked out uh, the expansion for Takedo. Um, Earl brought this in, and it's it's called Crossroads. It comes in this little box, but it actually adds quite a bit to the game. And if you haven't played Takedo, it's... Like the most relaxing, laid-back game in the world, especially if you play with Earl because he puts on the soundtrack from Pandora, yeah. and it's just like very relaxed string music. You know, <laughs> you don't feel like it's the kind of game that's designed where if you 
go after somebody, you're just going to lose. So it punishes you for being aggressive. Um, and it's you know it's a linear board. Everybody moves up the board. The person in last place on the board gets to go first. So if you jump super far ahead, you may not get to go for a couple turns. It's that kind of a thing. It's the mechanics are super simple. Um, and the basic idea is that you're you know, traveling through Japan trying to have the best sightseeing experience possible. So, yeah, it has like that <clears throat> that single worker placement where you're just kind of moving along from you know Tokaido to Tokyo. And when you place, you get that benefit, but it blocks everybody else out. Yeah. So like you said, if you, you definitely want to jump ahead to get the good stuff early, but then you're not going to get as much movement. Yeah, or you run out of money. Yeah. You know, it's like you could actually, like if you get aggressive in this game, you could be out like after the second time you everybody eats. That's true. Um, and the game is so crazy about food too. So like if you like <laughs> Japanese food, you're going to love this game. Sure. Um, you're buying stuff in the shops. You're getting your sushi and your bento boxes when you stop to eat. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, so what does is, what is the expansion add? So the expansion adds a few new cards. Uh, first off, you get like these legendary items. Um, you can only buy one, but so you say you land on the shop and you're going to go buy an item, you can buy one of these legendary items instead. Uh, so there's really cool stuff in there like samurai swords and uh, like hidden relics, but you can only buy one of them. And so usually they either have an extra bonus, like maybe you'll have like an ongoing effect throughout the game, or they're just worth a ton of points. Um, like Murasame one of the samurai swords is worth eight victory points wow. you just buy it it's worth eight points that's it um, there's another one in there that's just an extra kind of food uh so you could like because normally you could buy or an extra type of item i'm sorry you can buy three types of items and then they stack um so if you have all three in a set then it's worth i think seven points yeah this game is massively about set collections so yeah so you can get a fourth set fourth item and then it goes to nine that's great so it's worth a lot of points that way too um then there is another set uh th there's some other cards that are offer alternatives to other ones so there's spa cards um upgraded spa cards and then there's upgraded traveler cards um they offer better benefits and they're basically you have to pay for them instead of getting the free card that you would normally get you pay a coin but then you get a better benefit out of it so i think the spa card is you just get more victory points um I think you get four victory points just flat instead of the two or three that you normally get. Okay. And then the Traveler card sometimes has, like, extra bonus. Like, you pay the one. Um, maybe normally sometimes you run across somebody they give you two coins. In these ones, maybe you'll get six coins. You know, it's just... It's a higher-risk reward, basically. And then the fourth type of new card is... Uh, I don't know if it's a new card, uh, but there's a gambling aspect now. Okay. So when you land on the farm and where you where you normally get money instead of just taking money you can bet money hmm. so you can bet up to two coins or I think you just bet two coins flat and then you roll a die and you can win up to four times your money wow so you could theoretically get six instead of three but it, you're gambling so Mike our buddy Mike was playing with us and he just did that the entire game <laughs> he did just went along did it work out? He had a ton of money at the end, but he didn't win. No. <laughs> um, yeah, he was just going along gambling the whole way. And he was having fun with it, though. They added this die, and it's it's not super important element of the game, but it, it does add a little bit more depth to it. Okay. Um, and it's kind of a fun... Like, it's it even manages to make gambling lighthearted, this sure. game. It's, it's cool. Like, it's not... You can't just, like, lose the game for yourself if you do it. Um, you can't lose your money. Like, you can go bet two coins and lose them. All right, so there's a fourth type of card, too, and it's basically like you can buy this tag. Um, you can only have one at a time, but it's uh, it's either an ongoing effect or something you can use one time later. 
Um, for example, you can move to a spot somebody's already on, which in this game is... Oh, it's really important. Yeah, it's hugely important. Like, <clears throat> say, for example, you really need money, but you're not going to be able to feed yourself for the last two rounds. And But someone's already gone to the farm, so there's no more money on the board. Um, you could use this tag, and it lets you go to that spot. So it kind of it touches up a couple spots where sometimes before you might get locked out and you can't do anything about it. Now there's at least an option. like You're not completely stuck. So, I don't know. I liked it. I thought it added just enough just enough depth to the game to um, expand it a little bit without overturning that just relaxed, whimsical feel that the original game has. Like, it doesn't make it super combative. Like, a lot of expansions that, you know, they're like, let's add new elements, and they involve attacking each other, because what else can we do in a game where you didn't <laughs> attack each other? Now you do. Like, it's... Um, the closest it comes, you can buy these swords, which don't do anything. It's not <laughs> and it adds some new characters, too, right? Yeah, yeah, there's some new characters in there. Um, there is a Yakuza. There you so go. That's about as close as you're going to get to um, attacking. And, you know, they usually, those guys usually take advantage of these new elements a little bit more. Sure. But, honestly, they're not... Nothing is game-changing. You can play the game without the new stuff, and you're not at, at a disadvantage. Um, but if you take advantage of it, you're not at an overwhelming advantage either. So it literally just adds new elements that expand your options a little bit and give you alternatives if, you, if you're stuck, which is kind of cool. Sure. So the new characters kind of match with the new elements that are added. Yeah. So I guess if you were not playing with the new elements, you couldn't play with the new characters then because the special abilities wouldn't... Yeah, like some of the special abilities are... So like say you land on the spa. Um, normally... With the expansion now, you choose between the normal spa card or the upgraded one. Uh, the normal one is, you know, it's just you, you pull the card, you don't pay for it. The new one you have to pay for. Okay. There's a character, if you have them, that lets you do both. Okay. So you can take both cards. You know, you can take the one card, then you can pay for the other card. Sure. And then there's one of those for each of the things you have to pay for. Um, so, they yeah, they just kind of take advantage of those things. Another one of them was the gourmand who gets bonus points based on how much money they spend on food when you stop to eat. Sure. So the, if you spent three, because um, normally when you stop, there's one, two, or three is the cost of the food. Sure. If you spend three, you get extra bonus points versus if you pay for the one, which normally is what you'd want to do because it's cheaper and you save your money, you don't get as many bonus points. So. Yeah, I really like this game. I'm, we've got to play this a couple of times. It's definitely is a really relaxing, simplistic type of game. I know it tends to get you know, bash a little bit for that. But I think it, it keeps with the theme, which is really important. It's a lot of fun. It's, you know, pretty basic. Um, the artwork is beautiful. And it's really great that it came out with the expansion. I'm really looking forward to playing this. I, I mean, this was on my radar for a long time. This and uh, Takanoko. Um, both really two very similar games. Both a lot of fun. And definitely something, if you happen to see this game out, don't don't go past. Play. Sit down and play this. and. I think you'll get a lot out of it. Yeah, I think it's the kind of game you can just if you're say you have people over for dinner and they're not big board gamers and you want to play something a little heavier than you know or just something relaxing, you can talk over it. It's a good game for that. Yeah, there's no hidden kind of information, so it's like you make your move and then here now now it's your turn. Which of these next spots would you like to go to? And I'll show you what the benefits are. So it's a nice gateway game, and unlike a lot of euros, it's not going to kind of like freak somebody out who's sitting down for the first time and there's just too many things out there on the board it's literally one road yeah <laughs> yeah it's fun it's very, like it. and the artwork and all great colorful kind of stuff so yeah i think the only thing that's kept me back from buying it is the price um and i don't think it's overpriced 
but it's fifty dollars for the base game. Yeah. I think the expansion's thirty almost. I think it's thirty. Yeah, I heard the expansion was expensive. Um, yeah, but and so you're spending eighty bucks for these two things. It really doesn't feel like eighty dollars worth of game. No. Um, it's unique. It's fun, but you have to play it a lot. The only so. reason why I would think about picking this up and Pokonoko is because it does play with a lot of different gamers, and you can put this down with family, and it does scale really well because. I think certain spots are closed off if you have if you don't have enough people, so it's really easy in that way. Yeah, so I'm gonna say it's a it's a play, almost a buy. Um, if I find it on sale or something, I'd probably pick it up. Yeah, it's a game I think I would play with my family. So, yeah, same here. Cool. Now on the opposite end, um, I know Dan got a chance to play this and was talking about this before. I got a chance to play um, Spartacus, a game of blood and treachery, which is the complete opposite of Takeda, which is a game of walking around and. Eating sushi. And buying some stuff. <laughs> it was originally going to be Takedo, a game of blood and treachery. Then they got sued for copyright. That's right. <laughs> well, it's blood and treachery for the fish. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a lot of dead fish in that game. That's right. So I uh, had a chance to sit down with Vin, who popped this game open for a bunch of new gamers. So we actually played a shorter victory goal um, count for this game. So didn't get to play as long of a game for Spartacus as would be required but um it's a really interesting game it looks a lot more complex and being that i hadn't watched tv show i was a little unsure if i was gonna you know catch on to all the the subtleties of the game you basically start out you're kind of randomly given one of these different houses and it has a each of the houses has a special ability or benefit that they can use in the game um my family did not have a good benefit that could really help me it was just like Exhaust two guards, and you can pick up a new guard, um, which maybe with the short length wasn't really helpful. Yeah, I mean, you got to try to find the ways to balance it out. Like, I found out with that house, Yeah. what I was doing is, anytime somebody played a guard card, I would always start building up my number of guards to sell during the market phase. Sure. So, like, at one point I had, like, 12 guards. No, everyone's like, oh, I just can't play cards on them. But when I sold eight of those guys off, I guaranteed what I needed in the market. Yeah, I'm not sure. I remember the, the, uh, if there was the value for the, the guards on those cards. I know some people had... Two bucks. <laughs> okay. The guards are two. <laughs> no, but... I got 20 when I sold mine. Yeah, in comparison to the other, like the, the slaves and the gladiators, I think were worth a lot more money throughout the game. So, at least in that short version, it didn't help as far as that's concerned. Some people had powers which you can kind of like trade off or sell off slaves or gladiators and actually get straight victory points. Yeah, which was a lot faster towards victory. And actually, at the end of the game, um, there were three people that were tied for first. Sherry, Vin, and Jimmy. So um, the gameplay is pretty simple. You're going to pick up, you're going to start with some slaves, you're going to start with some gladiators. The slaves um, give you resources and gold. Um, the gladiators cost gold. Um, but later in the game, you're able to use the gladiators in competition. So that's that's a very big part of the game. So everyone kind of follows through the different stages. There's a marketplace where you can buy new gladiators and new slaves that will give you benefits and be, you know, these kind of uber gladiators. And then there's an auction for these characters. So it's a blind auction. So you take all your money, you hide it, and then you, you know, whoever you're going to pay for at that time. Um, it's pretty simple. It's, it looks, like I said, it looks a lot more complex. It's fun when you actually get to play the Gladiator games. I, I didn't think that was going to be fun, but it's, it's very simple. You, you just have that movement die. So 
your dice act as your movement and acts as your defense and acts as your attack. So when you get hit, you have to lose some dice. Um, if you lose all the dice in one section, whether it's attack, defend, or move, um, you get knocked out. If you lose two, you get decapitated. So, um, and you get, and everybody gets to bet on what's going to happen in the game. So, um, pretty interesting, pretty fun. Somebody, I think it was Rob, who mentioned that this game really reminded him of Cosmic Encounters, which because you're backing some players at certain times, you're making deals with other, you know, other players, and then you're actually at times battling in a joint battle versus other players in the game. Um, it also reminded me of that too because the cards that you get in the game. Um, Dan, what are the cards are? Not treachery cards? Um, the cards that kind of like, like the, the scheme action, cards. Yeah, schemes and actions. The, yeah, the scheme cards that you play in the game, really random. So, you know, early on in the game, I had, I had scheme cards that gave me money. Some scheme cards are attacking other players. You could kind of say, if you give me money, I want to use this card on you kind of thing, a la bootleggers a little bit. So it, it did have that feel to it. Um, but just by the random hand of cards, some people were ready for victory in the second round because they got the cards that just gave them victory points, victory points. And other people had cards that just maybe gave them a couple of bucks, but really nothing else. Or you got a card in your hand that said, hey, you get money for having the most gladiators. And it just turned out that you had the least number of gladiators. So this game is very random as far as that's concerned. So don't look at this as a very highly strategic game. Just look at it. This is just a little tactical, a um, little fun, and pretty much anyone could win this game at any point at all. So um, definitely a play for me. I'm looking forward to playing this game, maybe a full long-length game. But it, it does have a lot of randomness as far as powers and abilities and schemes that are going to either take you to victory or to defeat within a round. Yeah, the end of the game almost becomes a little bit like Munchkin, where when somebody has 10 or 11 victory sure. points, it's like, okay, nobody can do anything else. We have to guarantee he doesn't become the Domus because sure. then he'll just win the game. And That's yeah, the only negative of that game. Yeah, you can get victory points really easy in this game. And, and there's wild swings, too. Like, some of the cards ooh. will give you two victory points if you're behind. And Yeah, there was somebody, there was two people winning, and then I think Jimmy was the third person, and he needed a couple of cards. And we helped him out, and he went from, I think, from 9 to 12 within one round. So, yeah, pretty dramatic swings. You really have to keep on top of everything, and even then, doesn't mean you're going to pull it out. So, that was Spartacus, a game of blood and treachery. Now, one thing that we got to play recently, too, was we finally broke out City of Iron. Oh, yeah. Awesome. And, um, yeah, I mean, the game is actually pretty interesting. I want to try to play it another time or two. I don't know what happened in our game. I had the lead... And then Kim beat me by almost double the score at the end. Ooh. Yeah, it's basically... The game has... You get three actions every turn. And some of them seem so lesser compared to other options. Like, you can tax, which gives you one gold. So, you know, which is almost nothing. Because during the payout phases, you're going to be getting, like, anywhere from, like, two to 20. Yeah. So the one gold doesn't seem to matter too much. Um, the game also kind of does have a... Um, like an in-your-face mechanic of even if you can't buy a building, you can choose to store it. So you can stop somebody from getting something they need, and at the end of the game scoring, it's minus one victory point for every two stored buildings you have. But if you can deny somebody 18 victory points by taking those buildings, it's more than worth it. Is there a limit to how many you can store? No. You can have Ooh. infinite. The only downside is during your that's your action, so you're not doing anything oh, else. Okay. So it's 
the way the game works is you have like a civilian deck and a military deck and you have an area that can have up to say five buildings in the beginning of the game so buildings will be able to give you resources like you know put you on the resource boards now what's cool is there's ten different resources whoever's on the lead of those gets a payout and at the end of each full set of rounds gets victory points so what Kim was mentioning before like those yak like creatures it's only like you know, say one or two coins and like one victory point for whoever has the most. The later resources, it's like four and six victory points. And you can explore areas. You can found new towns to put more buildings in. And you can build up your districts so you can put more buildings in. So it doesn't seem like there's that much you can do when you look at your actions, but there's actually a wide swing of options available. So it's a game that you kind of got to play a few times to get the hang of, unless you're Kim, in which case you just... She broke past the limit of points on the board. So <laughs> that's always, when you do that your first game, it's, it's always a good sign. But um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty interesting. I'm also curious about in a multiplayer, because in a one on one, it was just like if Kim had four in, like, say, the gold, if I couldn't get at least five gold, it wasn't worth looking at. But in a multiplayer, it might be, you know, you might yeah. not, because second place also gets victory points too. But in, again, like in a four, two player game, having one point in a track is the same as having eight points if the other person has nine. So, you know, you stopped caring where you're like, oh, I can't cover that gap. But in a four-player, it does matter where you are. There is, like, that extra shade of gray. The other thing that's kind of interesting, too, is um, on all these cards, like, each race has some unique cards for themselves and a racial power. So the players do work a little differently. Um, like... Kim's race was like, oh, I guess like a little more warlike because her starting cards, there's like attack values and search values. Her captain, instead of an attack of two, which is what all the other captains has, has an attack of three. Mm. And the thing you can do is you can attack towns to win them over to your side, and they also generate resources. That's cool. So like you can attack a town to add to your own, and once you do it, you flip it over to new stats. Other players can attack those towns to take them from you, so someone might be building up cards to be able to take it from you or from the neutral board. or So there's a lot of back and forth in this game. So it's a combination of exploration and war. So it was pretty cool. But I definitely, you know, I got to try it again to see, you know, like kind of like where I went wrong. Yeah. Because I had a fantastic money engine, but one of the other resources is science. And later on, you need science for everything. So since I wasn't generating it, I had to keep using cards to get it which meant I had to use that action to get the thing, so next turn I can do the action to get... And meanwhile, Kim was just generating science every round, so she was like, and I'll take this, and I'll take this. And, I, like, you know, I could have taken the building, but then I'm not doing anything. I'm sure. just stopping her from doing one other option. So it was a little rough. Like, it, it's a game where if you play badly the first two rounds, you will pay the ultimate price in the third. So, but yeah, it was pretty cool. It was pretty interesting. Like, what did you think of it? Um, I want to play it again. It was okay. Uh, I didn't really see like a theme going on, so it was just like it was just like a regular city builder where you have a city, you build towns, you conquer towns. Uh, like the airships and like the dragon fleets and everything. They seem like pretty thematic. Though. There was dragon fleets. Yeah, like uh, my my warship was like a dragon, <laughs> uh, like a dragon barge. Oh, is it a ship? Yeah, like in the front, it looked like a steam dragon. Because oh. you have, like, you besides, like, soldiers, you also have, like, you know, like, robot soldiers. But nice. they look steampunk style, like, where they have gauges in the front of them and everything. But 
all the decks are the same. It's just certain ones do certain abilities, but the artwork is the exact same. On a, on a few of the core guys, like all your human soldiers look like your race, and they they do behave a little differently. Because yeah. I figured like when you have your race, like I was like this warhog type people. But I had humans and robots and other ones, so I figured I would just have like a whole deck of people who are warhogs. But you know, it yeah, was your robots. Just everyone, you know, yeah. like, I guess there's only one manufacturer, so <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Everybody gets the same bots. It's hard to get in on the uh, the attack robot <laughs> industry. It's the uh, Acme Labs, right? Pretty yeah. much. <laughs> I don't know. This game looks cool to me. I've, I've heard a lot of good things. Um, I think at first I was turned off because the artwork doesn't look quite as polished as some other games, but. Uh, that's not usually deterrent for me. But, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see how it plays out again. And the rules are vague. Very vague. I've heard that. I've heard the rules are an issue. So, I saw that they have an expansion for this on Kickstarter right now. I'm wondering what that adds. Yeah, um, I'm assuming it's probably just like a few more cards for each size, a couple of different... I backed it. Just, I mean, I didn't even play City of Mind when I backed it because of time issues. But it was only 20 bucks. That's not bad. So, yeah, I mean, that's not, you know, that's about the average rate for, like, an expansion for a game of this quality. There's a couple of issues that we had with the rule book, so you might have to check with Board Game Geek. Is there a rata for it, or is it just bad? Um, It's not bad. There was just, like, it's kind of, like, almost like magic, where it's, like, you know, like, well, what if I do this, then? Like, that response effect. Oh, or, yeah. like, can I do this? And we didn't, like, um, it wasn't super clear, but it w- there was nothing that was game-stopping problematic, so... Alright, cool. Glad you picked it up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like I said, one one definitely trying to four player game of it. Awesome. I also got a chance to play uh, Rampage this week. Our friend Vin broke this out and struggled and worked really hard to get all the little meeple stickers on all the different meeples, which is does not come with the game, but actually there is a sheet of stickers and Dan, I don't know if you got a chance to see it. It comes with a ton of meeples, and there's a yeah, reason yeah. for that. There are stickers that are shaped like the meeples, so and they're you put one sticker on one side and one sticker on the other side, so you have actually a front and back, uh-huh. which is great. But I remember him putting this together, and I was like, I don't know if he's gonna make it <laughs> because it just comes with so many meeples, and there's so many different stickers that it looks like nearly impo- an impossible kind of task. And I think that the stickers either you got them if you pre ordered or if you got them from the company because. I think that people are having a hard time finding the stickers, and I heard that on eBay they're like running like twenty dollars just for a sheet of stickers. Jesus, just print so them out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and the stickers aren't really that important because they do a good job um, coloring, kind of like color labeling the different um, figures. So like the yellow ones are the cheerleaders, and I guess the green are the military, the blue are the journalists. So it does kind of follow. So you don't absolutely need the stickers, although it's nice to have the stickers. If you if you do have that time to put into stickering a hundred thousand meeples, I mean, for what it's worth, if anyone's gonna go online to try to get stick, I would say just go to Meeple Source and order those meeples direct. They Absolutely. actually have those. Yeah, those I, options. I couldn't agree more because the meeples themselves are just traditional meeples, so there's no reason why you have to go through all that trouble. If just go to Meeple Source, will kind of like help you out, get exactly what you're looking for. So Rampage is a interesting game and if you you know if you go as far back as, as we do um you may remember rampage the video game or the arcade game where you were actually one of these i think it's three different monsters and you'd go into the city and smash the buildings and just like any good big monster movie 
you would eat the little people and you would gain points for destroying the buildings and destroying the military that would kind of come and stop you. And it's kind of interesting. It's kind of based on that, although the designer kind of disavows any knowledge of that, which was kind of hilarious because I, I actually saw him on one of the interviews and he's like, no, I don't know about this. What did you speak <laughs> about? And I'm like, I think you do. I think you exactly do. And you just have been informed by a lawyer not to know about these things because it could not be more identical if it tried. It's literally the first thing that goes through anybody's mind when they see this game. They're like, oh, yeah, like the video game. Yeah. Which is why it's being sued. Yes. So. <laughs> so there's an ongoing lawsuit for Rampage. So like we talked about a little bit earlier, whether or not you should buy a game if you really do like the game or if you do find it on like some great sale, you may, and I'm just saying you may want to keep track of this because this could be a game that goes out of print at yes. some point. Yeah. So this game is a dexterity game. Dexterity game. So in the game you'll actually build your buildings, which seems a little strange to say this, on meeples. So you'll have, like, say, four meeples, each on a corner. You'll place a square or rectangle tile on top of those four meeples, place another four meeples, place another another floor of the building, so forth and so on, until you build the building, which is basically these horizontal platforms of floors based on these little vertical meeples holding them up. Then you have these wooden monsters. So all the monsters are these kind of like little lizard monsters, and they're pretty good-sized wood pieces, I would say, probably about three inches tall, and they have stickers on them too, of course. And you'll start at each of the four ends of the, of the map, and the object of the game is to knock out the meeples from the city. Hopefully they'll fall in your zone, and you'll be able to eat the little meeple people and gain victory points. Um, if you knock the floors over, you'll also get that as far as points in the game too. Now, the game itself allows you to do a couple of different things. So as a monster, you can flick your disc because you're, you have your monster wooden piece and underneath there's an actual disc, which is his feet. And you flick that disc and that's where you end up as far as movement's concerned. You're also able to drop your monster um, on a building. So that's one way to kind of knock out the meeples. You're also able to put a truck, if you're in the same zone as a truck, put a truck on top of your monster and flick the wooden truck, which just basically is kind of like a silhouette kind of piece of wood, into a building and hopefully knock down more meeples. And then you could also put your chin on top of the monster and blow and hopefully no knock down other buildings to get the meeples out. And yes, it's as awkward as you would think. <laughs> With a bunch of adults putting their head down on a board full of meeples and blowing from the top of a monster's head. <laughs> this just sounds like a flu box. Like, yeah. I don't know I if I want to learn how to play this game in February. <laughs> so it, it's very odd as far as that's concerned. It's very colorful and it has a lot of gamer references in little kind of like um, spots all over the board. There's, you know, little kind of um, geek references on spots so that's kind of interesting um you also get three cards one is your special hidden ability one is a victory point ability and one is your monster's kind of open ability so that varies from player to player i had one where you i could actually drop my monster on other monsters and knock out their teeth which is the other component to this game which is each player has this monster board where you hide your meeples and, and the teeth you knock out basically all your victory points you hide them and the monster player board 
you actually put down these teeth and it has teeth on it, which counts, I guess, in reference as far as almost almost like your life counter, because the more teeth you get knocked out, the less meeples you can pick up. So teeth equal amount of meeples you can pick up. The game is random. The game is fun if you do not take it <laughs> seriously whatsoever and just go, okay, this is what I'm doing. Um, it's colorful. It's light. I think this would play tremendously well with kids. Um, uh, I wouldn't. I don't know about kids though because you're flicking these. Oh, wooden blocks. The wooden faces. blocks. <laughs> they're not light. They're hefty. Yeah. So if you hit somebody in the eye or something, it's gonna hurt a lot. Yeah, thankfully we didn't. There was no injuries in our game, um, and it's one of those games where you probably need to be standing so you can kind of walk around the board because your monster does go all over the place. Um, and luck, luckily, the meeples didn't go too far. When you knock meeples off the game board, there is a kind of penalty track, and if enough meeples get knocked off, whoever knocked the meeples off the board gets a penalty applied to them, and everyone else gets a benefit. So there is a disincentive of going crazy like just throwing things at the board because you're going to lose teeth yeah. and points and things like that but as kim's saying this this is a game where you could hurt yourself not to mention the flu bug as you were saying passing that around um, let's blow on this really hard and see what happens yeah so you have to <laughs> i think Vin at certain points was like look this is how i'm modifying the game because i don't want everyone to be spitting on my game <laughs> Fair so enough. we were like okay there there you go i i kind of get that um but yes, there is a high chance of losing meeples, um, losing monsters' teeth, or losing your own teeth, or you know, getting hit by random components. So what'd you think, Kim? I didn't like it. I, I played it two times because the first time I played, I was like, I'll play it again just to see because I wanted to get this game. And after playing the second time, it's like I don't need this game. This is not something I need to buy. If someone's like, yeah, we we need another player to play this, I'm like, yeah, I'll play whatever, but I'm not spending money on this. It's a it's a waste. I'm sorry. What what about did you not like them? Like was there something? Well, the setup the setup is tedious. Oh yeah. It's like, okay, place these four meeples, place these five meeples, place the board on top, place the four meeples on top. It's and it's like, oh, you can't angle it because it might tilt. And that'll be like cheating. So it's like, eh. I think one of the other surprising things about this game too, which since it's a basic dexterity game, it seems like it would be pretty easy to put together a rulebook for this. And it does lay out the iconography really well. But, you know, there's going to be times where your pieces are like on edges or does I, am I able to get that meeple? There's, we played the game and Vin had played this before and we were perplexed a lot of times about like rules questions. This rule book is like four sides and, you know, it has a, an additional kind of like insert for the different cards you could get. But the, as far as trying to deal with just a, a basic FAQ, it was terrible because there was so many times where we're like, this board is kind of leaning and the meeples kind of off the side, but maybe they're off the side and my monster can do this. But, you know, can they really reach here and... I think we had five or six of those different occasions where we weren't sure what we were supposed to be doing. Plus, I don't get it where if a meeple is touching a sidewalk, it can't get eaten. But if you think about why, 
Like you're a monster. You're how how <laughs> tall are you? Yeah. You're destroying buildings. Oh, someone's on the sidewalk. You can't eat them because they are protected by the sidewalk. Well, sidewalks have magic powers, Cameron. Oh. Have you been all this time? No, that's <laughs> not how it goes. Yeah, all I know is that after hearing both of you talk about this, I was sold against it. Like, I thought it looked awesome. I really wanted to play. Yeah, that's why I saw the components. It's like, oh, this is awesome. I want to play it. I play mm -hmm. it. And, I don't want to play this again. and now I'm like, oh, it takes 20 minutes to set up, and you spit all over it. Great. No, I don't want to do that at all. <laughs> this game's awesome. Yeah, great. <laughs> all right, so let's get on to the feature review. So, Dan, where can I find out more about Board Gamers Anonymous? Well, I'm glad you asked, Chris, because you can find us at Facebook at facebook.com slash boardgamersanonymous. You can follow us on Twitter at BGA Podcast. And last but not least, we also have a guild on Board Game Geek. And now for the feature review. Terra Mystica from Z-Man Games is an area control game that uses unique mechanics to get the job done. The game is played over the course of six rounds that give unique ways to score victory points and end round bonuses that change every game due to the six rounds being decided by random tiles. Throughout the course of the game, players will acquire various resources based on what they built before. Houses give workers, trading houses give gold and power, which we will look at later, and temples will give priests. You'll use these resources each round in a variety of ways to score victory points based on the round, your race, and your choice in advancement. Players will choose one of 14 different races so that all have unique traits and abilities. They each also build on different land types, so you would use actions to terraform the land to fit your people and build there throughout workers or magic. Hence, Terra Mystica. Now, here's how you get down to building your nation and scoring those points. In the beginning of the game, players will place their starting buildings and get their gold, move their markers up on the cult tracks and get a few workers. Then, they will choose a bonus for that round, which may give them gold, bonus ways of scoring points, or a special power action for that turn. Once all is done, Players will take turns with each one doing an action, such as terraforming, upgrading a building, choosing a power action from the bottom of the board, upgrading the race powers of terraforming, or advancing the shipping track to build across water. And these are just a few of the things you can do in this game. You also have these special magic abilities from the Bowls of Power. There are three areas on each player's board that use these purple discs to show how many power is in each bowl. So, if you would gain, say, 4 power, you would move 4 from bowl 1 to bowl 2. If bowl 1 is empty, it would go from bowl 2 to bowl 3, and bowl 3 is where you can spend it to do awesome things on the game board, like get more workers, a priest, or even some much-needed gold. Once a player has no more actions, or chooses to do no more actions, you will turn in his bonus card and choose another one. And they become the first player for the next round, which is a good deal. The next player to decline any more actions turns in his bonus card and takes another. And this repeats until all players are done taking actions that round. You check the bonus scoring options for that round and move on to the next one. This goes on until the end of the game. Now one other bonus of this game is the cult track. Players can use abilities and priests to go up in one of four elemental fields. Doing so will net you a power gain every couple of steps, and at the end of the game there is a bonus point for each and every track for the first, second, and third place. 
The other bonus scoring is for whoever has the first, second, and third most contiguous buildings on the map. Now there is even more to talk about when it comes to Terra Mystica, so let's get back to the board and discuss. All right, yeah, no, I totally dig this game. I think it's really good. Um, I dig it. I get dig it. it. I dig ah! it. I dig the game. I see what you did digging. there. What do you mean to? Wow, it's that professionalism guy. Man, yeah. you really nailed that one. What I do? I'm telling you. I was planning that. Good. All week. That's because you're professional. Since I played it last. Yeah. Nice. I don't remember what day that was. Uh, <laughs> no, this game is really good. And, you know, I've heard a couple podcasts talk about how it doesn't play well with two people, but I honestly, that's all I played. So, and I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, maybe if you start with four or five and then go back down to two, it doesn't really make sense. But I feel like um, as a Euro, it's very tight. It's not super long. It's not super complicated. You're not being penalized for everything you don't do. Um, you're always building something. You're always growing out. You interact with other players um, and what they do and what you, you know, if you're near each other, it matters, but you're not like in direct competition. You're not eating each other's resources. I feel like the balance there between building up your engine and building up your own civilizations and cities versus, you know, trying to interact with block other players from doing the same. I wonder, I wonder though, if you did play with a full complement of players, if it becomes a little bit more of like a small world scenario where the, the lands are highly contested. Because there were a lot of times when I got to play where I had to think about being a little more strategic because I think when I was playing with Dan, his race and my race were close on the track for the terraforming. So if I didn't put down a building, he could have switched it back to his. So if you did have multiple people, you might have to struggle a little bit more to kind of like capture enough space for buildings, which is not a bad thing. But as you said, there isn't that kind of real screw you kind of element. It's more along the lines of like, I need this. Hey, I need this too. And you kind of go back and forth a little bit. So not too attacking kind of thing but it you know like every other euro you are fighting indirectly for resources and the other thing too is whenever you build next to your opponent you're having them they have the option of shifting power so you building like trying to cut off your opponent and block them in does give them the option to do more things during their turn like you might be willing to take that two victory point hit because that'll give you enough power to shift around to make a huge move like say for example if it's one of the turns where terraforming gives you two victory points per terraform if Chris builds a building and I get to shift six power, I'll take it, and then I can take that action space that lets me terraform twice for six power. So I only really lost one victory point to do what six workers would have done for me instead. Yeah. So yeah. it does balance really nice that way. Yeah. The biggest thing about this game is knowing when to do things, because you might want to throw down a couple of buildings really early just to build up those workers, but if in the next turn they give you two victory points... And especially if you can take that favor token that gives you two victory points towards a building, you might be getting like 12 or 16 points in one turn. Because the end scoring in this game, what I like about this over most Euros is, like Seven Wonders, um, Caverna, all those games, at the end of the game, it's like, hey, we got done playing. And in 25 minutes from now, we'll know who won. Yeah. <laughs> the end scoring in this game is fast. It's just whoever has the first, second, and third most contiguous buildings, and then where they place on those elemental tracks. So the end scoring goes pretty quick, so it's more important to get the points as the game goes on because that end scoring may not be as big as you need it to be. Because if you're, even if you're in second place, they're only getting a few points more than you. Yeah. yeah. And I totally dig the, the whole idea of, you know, it's not a finite number of turns. Like a lot of games like this, like you have 
five rounds of four turns in each round. You know exactly how many turns you have. You have to plan them out. This one, you, you might get a few extra. It depends on when you want to end your turn. Yeah, it's like there's a six full turns, but your actions per each round, you know, that's a variable that you can decide. And you get to bank it, too. If you keep hold on to your workers or your priests, you don't have to use them up. It's not like they're an expended resource that are gone at the end of the turn if you don't use them. Yeah, I really like that about this game, too, is that you could bank your workers, you could bank your priests, so you could save them for later rounds to build towards something that you need um, but just wouldn't benefit right at this moment. Love that. You don't see that in a lot of games. It's like you either use it or lose it, and you can't really plan for anything in the future. And then also having the ability, as Anthony was saying, to... Um, do multiple actions after someone's done. So it's not like, I can only do three, and I have two workers, so therefore I can actually plan out and kind of relax a little bit and know that I will be able to do all of the actions I want to do this round, so no really reason to stress about it, with the exception of, do I want to put make my power that I picked up available, throw it back? When do I want to put that back out in the market? So really like that about this game, because... It allows the game to speed up a little bit. So I played three or four actions. Dan played four actions. He's, he's done. I can just throw down a bunch of actions and really kind of speed the game up a little bit. Yeah, and I like the how there's the bonus cards that are almost like the rolls in San Juan and Puerto Rico that, again, will help influence how you play your turn. Because if you take, like, if take, for example, the next round, it's the houses are worth two victory points. And you're playing a race where, like, you have the god, you know, that favorite token where the houses are victory points. You might want to take that bonus card where the houses are worth victory points. You can rack up a ton of VPs in one round. You know, so someone else might see you have that set up. They might have to end their turn a little earlier just to be able to take that role over you. Sure. And I really like that about this game, too. I love having the variable powers. That's one of my favorite parts of games that not only do you have a race that has a special ability. And for this game too, the the nature of the character really does match the power. So I got to play the halflings and here are your hobbits and basically they live in holes on pretty much submerged on the ground or in the hills. They dig and they score victory points or if you have the sirens or if you everything really matches their powers and abilities, which is nice, but to have the ability to get um, additional powers, whether you're building buildings that gives you access to something else in the game, or the um, actionable abilities that everyone picks from, that's a lot of fun because you can really change up the game a bit and it adds a lot of variety to it. Yeah, and there's a lot of options out of the box. You know, every time you play this game, it's going to be different. I mean, the board's static, but because of how it's laid out, the grid, um, start somewhere different every time every race is going to start somewhere different where you know it affects it benefits them one place yeah, or the other it'll be different and then there are just so many races out of the box to choose from and you can get like victory points from almost anything that you do like whether it's building or even if somebody builds adjacent to you you can get victory points if you choose to which yeah. is kind of cool for the alchemist you can trade a victory point for one coin or two coins for one victory point which Suits the alchemist very well, I think. Yeah, that was an awesome one. Yeah, yeah. and what's nice is um, instead of like a lot of the classic euros, like you know, like a Canterbury or Agricola or anything, each player doesn't have an equal start, and not everything costs the same for them. So, for one player building the strongholds might be like eight gold and five workers. For another player, it might only be four workers and four gold, because that's just their main thing. 
So your playing style is going to change a lot in this game. It's a very adaptive game instead of the... Like, you can kind of play a lot of standard Euros knowing what your first three turns will always be every time. Like, I'm playing Agricola. If I'm not the first player, I'm going to grab the first player marker because I want to go first for my occupation, and then I want to do this. Mm -hmm. In this game, even the same color being the opposite side and then other faction will drastically change how you play because you have different, like, different things will cost different commodities and you have different activated powers. So you may not want that stronghold because you may want the favor token more because your characters rely heavily on the elemental tracks. Yeah. Plus, depending on, on each round, has a different scoring bonus victory point thing too. So maybe you usually terraform a lot, but if you look at the next two or three rounds, there's no bonuses for terraforming, but there is bonuses from going up the track. So yeah. I'm going to spend my time and effort to go up the track because that's where I'm going to get those extra bonuses. So it has a little variety as far as that's concerned too. Yeah, I mean, Chris got an exuberant amount of points in one turn. His race power was every time he terraformed, he got a victory point. And he got it down to where it was only one worker to terraform. So on the turn where it was two bonus victory points to terraform, it's like, I'm turning this desert into a swamp. You go. I, and when Chris goes again, I'm turning this swamp back into a desert. Your turn. I'm turning this desert back into a swamp. You go. And it was just, yeah, it was he was like, points. yeah, it was like three points, three points, three points, three points. And he had like nine workers. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it, it was like yeah. that's when the runaway started. Like I had to desperately try to catch up. You did. You just eh. you, were, you were just a few points short. Yeah, but I mean, it's like moves like that. Like you know, you get, planning ahead in this game definitely reaps rewards. It's it's similar to, again, like you know that uh, Caverna or Canterbury, where if you kind of know what you want to go for and you focus on that, you can get a lot of good points. But on the other hand, too, there is there is a bit of randomness as far as if that um, particular round victory point equation wasn't available, I wouldn't have scored as many victory points in that game. So True. since they're kind of randomly shuffled and placed out there, that could have worked against me if I couldn't find something like that. But that, the one thing that was amazing about the game though was you almost completely ignored the elemental traps. Yep. I had first place in all of them. I only did one, only and I I did once. Yeah, he was, uh, he was only on two of the tracks. So even with the 30-point edge I got over him on the elemental track, I still couldn't... That's so cool. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's another one of those games where you can do just whatever you want and you can probably make it work for you. And the best part, and you know, I, I think I said this earlier when I'm coming back to it, is because there's not a finite number of turns, you don't get stuck in that trap of I'm building an engine and I'm one resource short because I don't have enough turns or because it's not there. If you get to the last round and you need to do a certain number of things, you can just burn through all your stuff, you know, just start burning your mana... You know, because you can get rid of it to move it up, and then it's available. You may not want to do that in the first round because you don't have it for later. But you just you could just be like, all right, it's the final round. I'm going to take as many turns as possible because I know I'm going to get these seven things done, and that's yeah. going to how I'm going to win this game. Versus another game where you're like, oh, I didn't plan in the first round to do this by the sixth round, so I lost in the second round. <laughs> and like, I mean, even like finding towns is like a really nice edge in this game because even the towns give you different bonuses. So. You might just take that town that's worth nine victory points because you just desperately need points. But you might take the one that's only worth six victory points because the bonus it gives you helps out. Like, take, for example, the town where you go up one in all the elemental tracks. If you're not looking at the tracks at all, that can at least cinch you third place, maybe, if the other player's ignoring it as well. Because if you're not on those tracks, you do not get any ranking for the end point scoring. So you yeah. want to be somewhere, at least in each of them. Yeah, this this game is surprisingly simple, even though 
it has a lot to it and a lot of actions that you can do. But, yeah, it's easy to follow being able to play this game. Yeah, it's surprising. When you taught it to me, I think the first, like, ten minutes, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. There's just so much on the board. There's so much going on. You're trying to take it all in. And then second round, it all kind of clicks. You're like, oh, that makes sense. It all makes sense. There's no, like, contrived... Yeah, you know, like, well, it has to be like this because I'm a designer and I said so. It's like, no, it all fits. <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, the one thing is when you play this game, though, you do need a big table because there yeah. is massive amount of real estate on this game. Between the coins, the terraform tokens, the markers, the favor tokens, the town tiles, the scoring tiles, the roll tiles, there's a lot around. Like, we had people walking by when me and Chris were playing. People were like, oh. <laughs> and just walked off. But <laughs> and I did that too. I think I, when I first saw someone play in the store, yeah. I kind of walked by and went. Ugh. When I taught it to Anthony, uh. you were like, "No thanks." <laughs> no, I wanted to play. I definitely wanted to play the game. Um, it did look like it did have a lot, a lot to it yeah, as far yeah. as that's concerned. It's got that Agricola look, but it's and, not Agricola feel. You know? yeah. No. And when it was over, like multiple people were surprised by how fast it played for mm-hmm. us. Now, Kim, how did you like how the different races played? Well, I only played the Alchemist, and which which the other nomads. one did I play? The Nomads. I didn't like the Nomads too much. I like the Alchemist better. I do want to try the other fat the uh, the other factions, just to see, because I see like a lot of them have different abilities that I'm intrigued. Like the Chaos Magicians, for every temple or sanctuary you build, you get uh, double the favor tokens. And I like the favorite tokens because it's just after every round you get bonuses, which is really good. Yeah, I mean, and one thing is like, you know, like the favorite tokens and everything. The game is crazy iconography. Like the first game or two, you're probably going to have to consult the book a few times because nothing just states this will give you this. It Everything is just picture, picture, picture. <laughs> it's true. So you're going to have to like learn to identify them quick. But I mean, again, after playing the game like one or two times, we didn't have to check the book anymore. So that was a huge bonus. And pretty much every race, even though they have a different, com- I guess a different flair or a different calculation as far as resources, the boards are almost identical. You know, almost yeah. everybody has that special power on the bottom right. Almost everybody has a certain conversion for buildings and workers and things like that. Everybody has the the magic the magic bowls, so the magic will be moving around. They have a different you know different number. Like the same thing with the workers and the gold in the beginning of the game. It's a different number as far as that's concerned. But it isn't radically different that if you once you play one race, you should be able to play the others just yeah. double checking on the on the rule book. Like adapting the strategy, it's like the giants, it's always two spades to terraform. So, you know, usually when you're playing the game, you're looking for something that's close to your element to make it easier. As the giants, as long as you have six workers or, you know, like the power to do the double spade action. You can just be like, yeah, I don't care what that is. Now it's my land. Sure. So the giants give you a weird way of building, and like the dwarves, like have like a digging ability, where they can skip a terrain to start building areas. So it's almost like they have the seafaring skill, except on dry land. So there's a lot of like, you know, there is a lot of playing styles to this game, which is that's like the one part about this game that I like, where you don't have to know what you're doing before you start the game. Like you don't have to go. All right, well, I need to build this, this, and this. Like, it does give you a lot of range, which is, like, to me, one of the hugest selling points about this game. Yeah, I love the asymmetrical powers. The fact that the races do play differently. I can pick a different race and play a different power. But I do wonder, and I do believe that some races are probably better than others. I think they're, and I don't, and that's not a bad thing. 
just because one race might have a little bit more benefit, but I do, it does seem like there are some races that are better than others. I would think it would also depend on what the scoring is, though. And how you play it. Yeah. Yeah, well, take... and I think that's true, too. But I do think that initial, I think if, if everything being even, I think there are some races that are a little yeah. more... Well, like, take, for example, like, the halflings. Yeah. Um, if, because each of those um, round scoring markers, there's two different things for each of them. Like, so there's two about building a house or two about, you know, strongholds or whatever. So if both of the terraforming scoring bonuses are on the score track, the halflings, that's what they what they want to do, hands sure. down. But every race would also change how they do it, too, because every race would just be like, all right, I'm using the priest to upgrade because terraforming is going to be worth a lot of points this game. So even though some races are a little better for the scoring options, it could be that other players can just try to adapt a little more so. I mean, like, we got... Uh, we'll I definitely see how it plays yeah. out, but I, I, I get a feeling that there are some, some races which are going to just initially be better just because their powers are a little bit more beneficial. I do think, like you said, that the round scoring track is going to kind of either negate that some at some points or benefit that unfairly in some points, but I think just straight out of the box, some of the races' powers might be a little bit better than others. Like you mentioned, the Giants, two from each way. Which yeah. is good, but may not be as good as getting a victory point every round from the halflings. So we'll see. And and like I said, it's never a bad thing. I I I'd rather play every race, even if it's a little, you know, kind of weak in some some cases, just because playing the different styles are is a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, like the the intrigue of this game is what makes it like this is going to be one of my like you know ten games of a you know ten plays. Because this game has so much to it, I want to keep playing to find out what else can be done. All right, so what does everybody think overall? I would definitely say that you have to buy this game because it, it is really good. Don't get scared by all the components and all the actions you have to take. It's very simple. It's easy to learn. And I think it is a really good two-player game if you play it first. If like it's your first game, you play it two-player. Yeah, I, I have to say like it's a good two-player game. I think for me, I was glad that the mythology and the fantasy theme actually does have a role here and that the mechanics do play out based upon you know that particular race. So I was really happy and glad. I, I was glad that it wasn't just your general skin of a fantasy theme over a Euro. So I'm really happy. So it gets thumbs up for that. Um, I'm going to have to knock it down for the components because... Not only is it just generic Catan components, and we got a lot of comments as people walked by and like, hey, you guys are playing Catan, right? It looks like Catan, which doesn't really bode well for a game that costs this much money. They could have found another resource out there. I understand it must be warehouses full of Catan components somewhere. So I was a little disappointed by that. The board is a little flat. I would have liked to have scalable boards, maybe multiple boards, or at least a flip over side. So maybe a two-player map and then like the five-player map. So at least it kind of scales a little bit better. Um, I really, I got the flavor a little bit because Dan was nice enough to place one of his starting buildings next to mine. But otherwise, we really didn't have any kind of contact whatsoever. And when you look at the components, you're like... You're not really sure because it's kind of like a big square cube squiggly thing and a round kind of thing, which I'm not sure if that's a temple or if that's a, you know, what what kind of thing that is. Or maybe throw some stickers on it. That might that might help too. So um, it's definitely a play. 
I'm looking forward to play this again and try out the different races. And uh, I think I'm going to have fun with this in the future. I'm not sure if it full, if it eventually runs flat because you're you're still doing the same type of stuff. But until I get to that point, I'm looking forward to playing it. And I really want to play it a lot more. So it's a play for me. Yeah, I mean, I had a lot of fun with this. Um, the components, I thought it bugged me more than it did. You know, after, after playing it, I felt like it worked just fine. Um, I never, the abstract components never really bothered me, and I felt like the theme was really strong throughout the game, regardless of what you actually see and hold. Um, and the way they set up the special powers for each of the races, it really does feel like you are that race. Like, they, they fit really well. The game plays out really well. Um, how you attack the game, how you approach it, you know, it's really like your play style, but also a little bit of that randomness that comes up. And I love that while you can build out certain things and plan for things, almost engine-like, you never get stuck in that spot where if you didn't make a decision, you know, 25% of the way through the game, you're going to lose. Um, you can always kind of catch up or adjust your strategy accordingly. I like that a lot. Um, I do think it played pretty well with two. I'm excited to play with four or five. I do like your idea, Chris, of having a two-player board. I think, you know, if they found a way to hack it in half or something to, like, sure. force people to be more combative, that'd be kind of cool. But, you know, you can, like, house rule it, like, like Dan, when you were teaching it. Just, like, put two next to each other because that's how you actually play the game. You know, that's how you're going to play in the future. That That's, you know, it's always an option with two people. But for me, I mean, it's, it's definitely a play for sure. I want to play it some more. It's borderline buy. Um, if it wasn't 80 bucks, I probably would have already picked it up. 80 when a friend already has it it's tough to justify cool stuff yeah exactly right <laughs> yeah get it down to 50 maybe yeah, yeah. maybe next time i need shipping this might be on that order <laughs> um i enjoyed it a lot i want to play it again i think it's something i'll play a lot more in the future it feels almost like that the next logical step after a game like Catan. um well maybe two loud two yeah, logical steps after, after Catan. but that same kind of vein like you're building you're growing you're competing but you're not necessarily attacking you're rushing for the same resources. It's not the same randomness, obviously, but yeah. has that same feel. But then the fantasy really comes through strong. Yeah, I mean, for me, um, as far as, like, with the component element, uh, Z-Man made Bruges, which had the mini-meeples, so, I would, again, I would have preferred unpainted mini-meeples for the workers. You know, maybe just because of size or space or whatever. Um, I get what you're saying with the components, though, Chris, because I still wish that uh, Caverna had potato meeples instead of pumpkins for dwarves. I kind of like that idea. You know? <laughs> they don't strike me as a pumpkin race. <laughs> I just think this, especially, I mean, obviously I'm a big fan of components. I think it's, it's really a big, important part to the games. But I think even when you're first playing or you're first introducing a player to the game, it's a lot easier of a transition if they if the worker looks like a worker. Yeah. Especially, it, especially if the other cubes are so distinct. If, the, if everything was cubes, I would understand, like, a unpainted one was a worker. Yeah. I, I think the other reason, too, that, like, you know, we noted, like, those Katan, like, pieces. Because, I mean, even the temples, it feels like, you know, um, two worker discs from Agricola just glued together. It's, yeah, like, just a thick disc. It's just a thick disc. It doesn't... I think they might just stick to similar components. So it's like, hey, you played Catan. You know those little houses? Well, now it's a house where you get a worker. And, oh, you know that bigger city? Well, it's a city, so it generates gold. Like... Some, I guess maybe some companies stick to components just to make it easier for transition for people. As to whether or not you would ever be able to get your family to play as Catan to try Tower of Mystica, I think their heads might explode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, it depends on where they're at. But you know, It's hard explaining to your aunt what a bowl of power is and how you're using <laughs> it to summon another priest that will let you go up in the fire track, which will let you shift more power, which will let you create that bridge so you get a contiguous to get a city, as opposed to, here's wheat, give me a, give me a stone. So, you know, but, I mean, 
with how deep the game is, I mean, if I actually did play this last year when I picked it up, I probably would have had it in my top three. I think it would have bumped something else out on that list. I can see that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm beyond pleased with the purchase, and you will find it around in a couple of shops. If nothing else, you might want to just try to check your local game shop to see if somebody can break this out for you. Because you don't... This would be a game where uh, if I only played it and then went to buy it and it was out of stock again, I would have been, like, really sad. Like yeah. It, like, it would have been, like, not getting the Kickstarter stuff of Amerigo all over again. <laughs> like, so. fortunately, though, it seems like this has been in stock now since November when they restocked it. Yeah. Like, it was out for a long time. Like, yeah. Robinson Crusoe a long time. And but I mean, Z-Man seems to be doing a good job keeping it in now. And the other thing, too, is, like, uh, you know, when we first went to play the game, I looked on Board Game Geek, and it's rated over an 8 by thousands of people. And I was like, man, that's, that's speaking volumes. After playing it, it's well-deserved that rank. Yeah, definitely. All right, so I think that's pretty universal. I think we all like this game. Definitely going to play it again. Oh, yeah. um, that is our full review of Terra Mystica. Uh, so next week, um, or I guess two weeks from now, I, I don't know what we have on the docket. I know we want to play City of Iron a couple more times. Um, got Battle Lore. Yeah, we, I'm dying to try out some Battle Lore. That, I mean, I love the Terranoth world, so. Yeah, that'll be fun. And I know we can get a few of those in because it's pretty quick. It's not like the last few reviews we've done have been these big, long, epic, <laughs> meaty games where you get a couple plays in. But I'm looking forward to that. But that's everything for this week. So uh, this is Anthony. This is Kim. This is Dan. And this is Chris. And until next time, we'll terraform you a seat at the table. If you have enough workers. (laughs) (laughs) And if it's the right land type. Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully you like sitting in swamps. Yeah. And we'll do it for you. All right. So uh, I think we should get this thing out of here. Yeah, I'm definitely going for the fourth player I'm definitely going to try out these chaos mages. It looks like it's going to be almost impossible to win, but hey, why not? Yeah, I'm surprised <laughs> you didn't play this the first time. Yeah. Chaos mage? So, so far, I have an undefeated loss streak in this game, so I might as well keep it going. Right. As as <laughs> what if I play the witches? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.